Hey, listen, I, I, listen I'm not going to trade places with any pastor in the Missouri Center right now, I'll tell you that much. Because, uh, you know, I don't know how many pastors have to, like, begrudgingly get people to stop talking to each other. It's, it's a great thing. Uh, uh, a few announcements this week to Zay Services on Wednesday. Just to reiterate, let's leave all of our conversing up here, for instance, like what we're doing today. And then when we enter into the nave, let's be contemplative and quiet and silence. And I think I mentioned that a few weeks ago. So, um, If you haven't signed up to help with Christmas sharing, I believe... Uh, well, actually, I haven't checked with Carol. I don't know if there's any spots left, but hopefully there are spots left to help out with Christmas sharing. Please do check the, I don't know, the, the bulletin with the, the, the QR code and all that stuff. Yes, there's spots open for Friday, Saturday, Tuesday night is taken. There you go. Bada bing, bada boom. Friday and Saturday, Tuesday is taken. Well, Friday and Saturday are, are kind of important, so uh, that's like the day things happen. So please uh, think about signing up. The um, Christmas calendar, December 24th, is in fact a Sunday, not a Monday, contrary to what the bulletin has been saying over the last two weeks. <laughs> I think it's fixed, though, so just in case. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I only say that because I have a lot of helpers to help me remember that, so... Uh, also, after today, on Wednesday night, Ted Cusack is here to talk about estate planning and financial stewardship and putting things in order. It's, he's a great guy. If you've never met him, you should meet him. I would just go there just to meet him. He's great. So, Okay. Um, it's been a couple weeks since we met, so let's do a little review. First of all, we are talking about the Holy Family. Oh, we got to pray. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you have given us a model of life in the Holy Family of Nazareth. Help us to make St. John another Nazareth, where love, peace, and joy reign. May this place be deeply contemplative, intensely Eucharistic, and vibrant with joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so, yes, yeah, so we're talking about family, the Holy Family as the way of the Church, and the, the Holy Family... If we take a look at it and we meditate upon Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, we realize that, uh, you know, first of all, family is the cradle of civilization. And as we extend this to our church life, family is the first place where someone hears the gospel. The parents are the, the apostles to the children. They have been sent. They, they are the ones who communicate the gospel to the children. And this is something normal for each one of us because there is a universal search for where we come from and where we're going. This is normal. We always ask, and some of you might be really into genealogy. Well, why are people into genealogy? Well, there's that innate thing inside of us that we're searching for where we've come from. And of course, ultimately, we've come from the Heavenly Father. All right, so because that is true, everyone comes from a family is meant to live in the family. Now, sin, of course, ripped those relationships apart, right? Adam and Eve, their family was ripped apart. And in fact, I don't think I've made a special emphasis on this, but, you know, Satan's attacks in, in our culture are primarily about the family. I mean, you, just, you really have to boil this all down, is that the cosmic kind of battle happening throughout society 
is really uh, ripping, ripping the, the relationships apart that are fundamental to our identity. So we have four fundamental uh, relationships to our identity. One is with God, which, you know, Lutherans, it's our bread and butter, justification. But the other ones are our relationship with ourselves. So when Adam and Eve sin, there is a break within themselves. And we see this kind of culminating, especially in today's society. But then there's also the relationship between Adam and Eve. That's a broken relationship again, which, you know, that's, that's kind of obvious. And then the last one is just with creation, just kind of our, our place in the world. And so sin break, breaks these relationships, primary relationship of the family. So the church is given the mission to set free, first of all, us from bondage and restore the person's place in the family. Which, as, we, as I think I mentioned before, the primary blood that joins us is not biological blood, but the blood of Jesus. And so you see this, again, I, I've been told not to get on tangents, but you see this especially in the early church where as people are becoming Christians, the, they're, they're ripped away from their biological family. So like in a Roman society, actually next Wednesday, St. Lucy Day, Santa Lucia, her, does it, I mean, I'll just use her as a story. Does anyone know the story of St. Lucy? That, like, five words or less? She was martyred because she wouldn't marry a Roman because she had, her family was primarily church. She had committed herself not to a pagan husband, but to Jesus. And she was burned at the stake. Her understanding of family, her primary understanding of family was the the Holy Family, the, the, the church family, the, the, the Christian family. So that is the primary, because that's the restorative aspect of the gospel. And as Pastor Ruzik said, you know, he wants all his children back in Eden. So we're, 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 um, that's our family. So with that mission, then, the church has this, this calling to create a civilization of love and become a sanctuary for life that mimics the Holy Family. All right, so even with all the progress in our society. This is something, too, that, you know, is really coming to head as, we, as, you know, as parents deal with children and technology. I mean, we've made so many strides in technology, but one has to wonder is for all the strides we've made in technology and psychology, you know, we haven't made any sort of strides in, in the spiritual life of people. In fact, you know, that, that's kind of denied or, or lost. So, this is where the Holy Family and, and our church family then comes in and says, there's something primary or, or beneath all these, these progresses that are actually most important. Because we're at the point now in society, we're in Western society, where you know, there's people who are asking themselves whether they want a family or to create a family. And this is something really, you know, so there's, there's kind of a, a question, there's like two sets of, of categories of questions that the church really needs to answer. Uh, one of them is related to, uh, I usually give the example, I think I might have mentioned this already, uh, the question of do I go to mom or dad's funeral? That question's been asked in, in my 16 years here because of the pain and suffering that the broken family has caused the child. Do I want to go to mom and dad's funeral? And some of them, they say, I, I think I should. I don't want to. Pastor, help me with this. 
Why do they think they should? Well, it's because of the way God made them. They understand that that brokenness is wrong, but underneath the brokenness, there is a calling to kind of healing. And the crisis of the conscience at that moment is the fact that mom and dad aren't around anymore, and they can't make restitution. They can't have forgiveness in that moment. Then there's the flip side. The other, the other uh, question is, um, are children worth it? Young people are, you know, uh, you know, certain age. <laughs> I love it, Ron. I love it. Praise be to God. Hey, don't worry. The answer is yes, by the way. Okay, so it's just... The question actually is fundamentally flawed, by the way. Okay, that, that's, that's a fundamentally... But see, this is the point is that as the church, we have to acknowledge there's pain uh, in these questions even if it manifests itself as maybe self-referential, there's something going on there where the family has been broken and it's only the love of God through the forgiveness of sins. In the love of God that's stronger than death. We have to understand that. The love of God is eternal and will outlive everything. And one of the things in Revelation chapter 19 is that we find out that the family exists after sin. It started before sin and will exist after sin in the heavenly uh, in heaven, because we we're going to a marriage feast. We are going to our family reunion to celebrate our, our relationship with Jesus. So this is something that, the, so the church has this calling to create the civilization of love and a sanctuary of life, and it's precisely done into that sort of society. The society that is so kind of broken because of sin, and even if they're defiant, we come with mercy and the truth. All right, so part of that is the masculinity and femininity of, our, of humanity. And that is, they so masculinity and femininity complete and explain each other. That's really important for us, is that, and, you know, we're going to talk more about that in the springtime. But one of the things is that we didn't really get a chance to talk too much about it, is that, well, we'll leave it at that. That we're kind of reviewing now. Excellent. Now, as you get men and women together, masculinity and femininity, Adam and Eve together, Christ the bridegroom, church the bride, there is marriage involved. Now, you might say, Pastor, I'm not married. That's okay, because there's a word for for those for, for people who are what people think as not married. Uh, there is an image there of the cathedral by Rodin. Rodin? That's what we say in Wisconsin. <laughs> Rodin. Okay. That is called the cathedral. And uh, I don't know if you, you can look at it. It's a small picture. But there are two hands. Uh, one's a little bit larger than the other. And, you know, they're just barely touching each other. And at first glance, you might think that there's nothing in between the hands. But those hands, the two right hands, by the way. Right hands. Okay? And they're just gently, gently, I'm going to just try to pretend I have two right hands. Gently touching each other. So there's this, this uh, touch of tenderness, caress. And, and so what's happening here is that within those hands, those, love is the only thing that drives that kind of motion. You know, Tom and I, we, we love each other, but guys, we don't do that. We, we don't, like, do that with each other, okay? 
All right. Well, husbands and wives do. All right. So this is that, that love that's happening. And that is, that is something for us to really uh, contemplate on. But Scripture teaches uh, there's two ways for male and females to live out their vocation of the human person in its entirety. That is to love another and love another precisely as Jesus has loved us. And those two ways are marriage and friendship. Within fr- so marriage, of course, we kind of, okay, get that. But within friendship, there is virginity and celibacy. I know those are words we don't, we don't talk a lot about. But we see this in Ephesians chapter 5, 21, 33, and John 15, 12 through 17. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 is this uh, wonderful passage on marriage and Jesus in the church. And, and, and St. Paul talks about husbands and wives. And then at the end, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm talking about Jesus in the church. Okay? So this living out of uh, our, our vocation of to love one another as Christ has loved us. That means giving ourselves to the other person, self-gift, under the, under, the, you know, under the banner of love. So Ephesians 5 is about loving and being loved, precisely as male and female in the relationship of marriage. But there's another relationship in friendship. Unfortunately, we, we don't have a lot of time to talk about friendship, but friendship is not the surfacey relationships that a lot of us have with people we call our friends. Friendship, theologically speaking, is the one you die for. So, you, so John chapter 15, 12 through 17, or if you're a big fan of uh, Blue and the Jungle Book, at the end of the old Jungle Book, he quotes John 15. Uh, Greater love has no man. Then gives his life up for his friends. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because I have told you everything the Father has told me. So within friendship, there is a spiritual vulnerability and openness, heart to heart with another. But Jesus is precisely talking to males, the 12 apostles, and how he lives his relationship with other men is by giving himself up to, he's dying for them, He's done that already based on his giving his everything I received from the Father I've given to you. All right, so the reason why I bring that up is because that is all related to how we're created in the image of God. What is the image of God? Remember, humanity living in relationship with one another. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternal relationship of love living towards the other. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27. God says, let us make man in our own image. So in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The image of God is the male and female living towards one another. It's, it's this relationship of humanity living for the other person. And in scripture, you have these two relationships. But encapsulated within friendship, I know, I don't know why that switches there. I tell you what. <laughs> It drives me nuts. You're not the first person. Does this happen routinely? It happens at men's Bible study. Okay. It's kind of dramatic. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. 
so friendship, of course, husbands and wives should be friends. That's right. That doesn't mean that it, it's, those are two separate relationships as only men and women can, you know, uh, be married and not have friendship. No, no, I'm just saying that there is this capacity to love another person fully without being married to them. That's it, and that's called friendship. So, and the reason why this is really important for us as we think about marriage, and, and we'll get into this in the springtime too, is that I can sum up the Bible uh, by saying that God wants to marry you. Five words. That is the story of the scripture. And we see this precisely in the crucifixion where the bridegroom gives himself up for the bride. I think I briefly talked about this maybe a few weeks ago. Is that, so when we talk about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in me should not perish, but have everlasting life, we think about the crucifixion, and we think about it maybe transactionally, but we have to think about it in terms of the narrative of the entire scripture, and that is where the bridegroom is dying for his bride. This is where the new Adam steps in between his bride and Satan. So Adam doesn't step in between Adam and Eve. He doesn't step in there. And he doesn't die for his wife. He just lets, lets things happen. And the new Adam, he steps in front and he dies for his wife, which is symbolized in Mary, but not just Mary, but the Apostle John, Mary Magdalene, Mary uh, uh, Martha, Mary of a uh, uh, wife of Cleopas. But that is that. So what happens there is already been imprint. Like this is part of our story as humanity. And the, but he's he is restoring what Adam should have should have done in the Garden of Eden. So and that is why Saint Paul in chapter five, when he talks about marriage, he quotes from Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, verse twenty-four. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. And does anyone know? Can anyone finish it? and then joins himself to the wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We always think that is about humans or Adam and Eve, but that's actually about Jesus. That's primarily about Jesus, because that's, that's how Paul interprets it in Ephesians chapter 5. At, Jesus is the one who leaves his heavenly father and his earthly mother, and then joins himself to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, this is really important for us as we understand our relationships with our spouses, but just our relationships with everyone. There is what's called like this spousal identity, this giving up for the other person. And, and that's why I think I wrote in the spot, yeah, there at the end of the page there. Spouses are therefore permanent reminders to the church of what happened on the cross. I don't know if you think about your marriage that way. What I'm doing is a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm sure some days you might think that way. <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> However, I'll just be real, real simple. The fact that there are married people who die married is proof that the love of God is alive in the world. Because, uh, now again, this doesn't always happen for every couple. I, hopefully, I, by the way, how many people are broken? How many people are sinfully broken in this room? Anybody? Okay, just Andrew and I? Okay, great. Um, so the danger is for everyone to be like, oh, start comparing. Hope, I, I try to lay the framework that we are not comparing. Comparing is a loser's game in this room, okay? We do not compare ourselves to other people in the room because, um, well, first of all, nobody wants to be compared, like, 
You might say, oh, that guy over there, but I wish I could be like him. And that guy's saying, oh, please, I hope nobody finds out about me. All right? So again, when we, when we talk about marriage, some people hear that as law. I want you to hear that as a gospel, even if there's brokenness based on uh, marriage. And, and so I have this kind of a strange quote. Consequently, our sexuality, that is when men and women give themselves to one another through the acts which are proper and exclusive to spouses, is not purely biological but spiritual. This is important. When someone gives themselves to another, it's a total self-gift, and it would be a lie if it was simply the physical. I think Sarah Crow, so the Crows, are, some of them are here. I, I can't remember, I think it was her wedding. But it's, I've used this line in a few weddings, by the way. Uh, it's easier to get physically naked than spiritually naked. Okay, thank you. I think Sarah was the first one, by the way, Sandy. So. Uh, I, th- I, think, you know, I think that all, we can all agree on that. Because it's, it's harder to be naked, our heart to be naked to another person than even our, our, our because. But see, this is the point. That, that again, kind of reveals that our intimacy with another person is not simply biological, not physical, but it's primarily spiritual. That doesn't deny the physical, but in fact, the physical is caught up in that mission of the spiritual. And we see that precisely in the incarnation. How do we see that in the incarnation? Well, without Jesus, can we see God? No. Can we, can we feel God? Can we touch God? No. So the, the, what I, this quote here is an extension of the incarnation. And then also, too, how do we make love exist without our bodies? Can you make love exist without your bodies? No. It's just feelings and it's maybe a thought or something. I don't know. But that doesn't really... When I need, like, if I'm, if I'm you know... Well, anybody seen the movie Band of Brothers? Or, I'm sorry, miniseries or whatever? Yeah, it's great. I love it. I love. I love that. I love that because there's a there's a love in alive in that in that series. And if I'm in that moment in World War II, I want someone to love me with his body because he's going to save me. This is what we're talking about. Is that? But again, marriage has a certain. So you're. When I talk about sexuality, we have to kind of broaden our understanding. We're going to deal with this in the spring, but I want to just get you to think about this, is that our sexuality is actually meant for another person that gives life. However, when I give my body in war to another person, that, that's, still, that, that's that spousal love, to, to give myself completely to the other. All right? And so that's why celibacy is part of this conversation within marriage. Because celibacy is not a no, but in fact, a yes. Okay, Pastor, what are you talking about? Celibacy is the yes to the eschatological marriage, the one that we talk about in our prayers of thanksgiving in the divine service, where we talk about the marriage feast of the Lamb. Our ultimate communion as people is not earthly, but heavenly. 
So this is why Jesus, the Sadducees, you know, asked Jesus about, hey, this woman, you know, her husband died, and then he married another one and died, and da-da-da-da. When she gets to heaven, who's her husband? And he's like, what are you talking about? You're not given into marriage in heaven, which most people think, oh, man, I love, I mean, I love my wife. And it sounds terrible that I'm not going to be given into marriage in heaven. Well, marriage is a sign of, is, it's, like, it's like a big sign pointing me towards the ultimate communion. So, when I'm headed up to Wausau, Wisconsin, I follow the signs. Go up Interstate 39, I pass Wisconsin. I'm about, either I turn left to go to Wisconsin Dells or I turn right to head up to Wausau. Interstate. Next time you go up, you should check it out. It's great signs. Okay. But when I arrive in Wausau, do I need my sign anymore? No, I've arrived. Marriage is a sign of Christ to the church. So when I get to heaven, I'm not given into marriage, not because I'm lacking it, but because I'm fully loved. I, I have what my marriage is all about, my communion with God. And I'll be closer to my wife in heaven than I am even now. So when we first hear that, we're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? So celibacy isn't a love for no one, but it's the opposite. Actually, celibacy is a love for everyone. Adam was in communion with God. So let's think about it back down to Adam. Adam was in perfect communion with God before Eve came around. But what did God say? It's not good for him to be alone. Because he couldn't fully be himself without Eve. So he, it's not, it's not a no, but a yes to everything, to, to everyone. So this is important for us. Is, so uh, even a person who's celibate, and when I say celibate, uh, I mean, I, I, it's a general term. You know, some people like using the word single. But like, those who are celibate are those who are living their life, obviously, chastely but outside the relationship of marriage. So it could be widows, it could be, you know, teenagers, it could be, it could be a variety of people. But this is the point, though. It's, it's every, just like it should be for every Christian, Christ is the celibate's first love. So there's a pastor friend of mine, Spencer Milkey. He's in Elkhart, Indiana. And one of his best friends is, uh, he's, uh, as uh, people say, he's a single guy. Well, he describes himself as being like celibate. He, he's, he's acknowledging that he is not given into marriage, and he's living his life fully. Well, I met this guy. His name's Bill. And he's amazing because in talking with him, he has helped me become a better married person. Because in talking with him, I realized that his first love is Christ. He's part of the church, part of the bride, and he understands Christ to be his ultimate love. And so God fulfills his ultimate desire. And then it reinterprets me for me to understand my wife is not going to actually fulfill all my desires. And by the way, she, I mean, who wants that kind of... Does anyone want that responsibility? No. <laughs> Only God can fulfill those. But my wife's there to point me to Christ 
So we, you know, we have that dynamic thing happening within my, in my marriage. But this is the point is that that celibate helps me be a better married man. You're like, what? Well, because he fulfills uh, Matthew 19, 27, leave, leave everything and follow Christ. Because he has given himself up to, in his case, he's, he's, a, he's a church worker, so in, in, to the church. He's a Lutheran pastor. But because of his, his opportunity as being celibate, he can then live his life fully for others in ways that I cannot. I have a calling to live my life fully towards a particular person and persons that's then supposed to encapsulate all other persons. What does that mean? Uh, as I love my wife, you know, rather than another woman, that love with my wife then helps me love other people. So this is, uh, not to get too far off tangent, First Peter, the role, like the qualifications of a pastor, husband of one wife. Well, why is that? And, well, he has to, jeepers, uh, I can't remember now, kind of keep his house in order or something like that. I, I can't remember the actual Greek words. So why is that? Well, it's because what, he, what, what he's, what, what the pastor's, um, kind of practicing here then gets played out into the wider church community. Okay, so you always say, oh, that sounds nice, Pastor. But, even without uh, uh, fecundity, I learned that word. That's a word I use every day, don't, isn't it? <laughs> fecundity? Ha! <laughs> That's fruitfulness without, or like, you know, I learned that in uh, college. Post-college, actually. Okay, so even though you might not be physically fruitful with children, you are spiritually fruitful. The father and mother of many. And that's a real thing. Spiritual motherhood and fatherhood is a real thing. It's not like a consolation prize. Because even me with my four children, I am primarily a spiritual father to them. Uh, I, a little story here. Um, uh, this year's high school seniors and juniors uh, did their confirmation like during COVID. So they had no opportunity to go to like the retreats and they weren't able to do the service projects and all the fun things that we do as confirmation kids. So when the seniors were ninth graders and the juniors were eighth graders, I, we, I decided to give this trip to Upper Peninsula, Michigan. We went up to Upper Peninsula, Michigan and we did a lot of great things, and it was great and fantastic. But on our way back down to Wheaton, we stopped in Minocqua, Wisconsin, and we stayed at this church, Rock of Ages, Lutheran Church. Okay. But uh, there's a quick trip. Okay, so I'm from Wisconsin. Quick trip, it's like a love. People from Wisconsin love quick trip. Okay? It's, uh, it's, kind, of, it's kind of weird, but I love it. So... In fact, every time we go to Wisconsin, my son, Isaac, will buy a, pa a, a box of glazers. For those who are from Wisconsin, you'll understand what that means. And he gives them to his sisters, even, which is amazing. Okay, anyways, but before we're heading back from Minocqua, we stop in at Quick Trip, and I said to all the kids, hey, grab some snacks for the way back, because it's going to be, you know, I don't know, four hours before we eat, and, you know, they're eighth and ninth graders, and they need food every hour. So they all grab their food, and I'm like, okay, come on up. 
okay, start, you know, they start purchasing, because I'm going to, the church, by the way, thank you very much, this is why you, we tithe, because the kids, the kids are very thankful. In fact, I should have every child under 18, well, 18 and under right now, well, maybe 21 and under, maybe, to write a thank you card to everybody here, I suppose, but because they, they have reaped the benefits of your fruitfulness in your, in your giving. So I was like, okay, stand here. I said to the cash register, I'm gonna pay for it. So then, you know, first child goes, second child goes, you know, all, I think we had uh, 14. And then about, about halfway through, the cashier says, are these all your kids? <laughs> now I can't remember if it was Jacqueline Guglielmi or, or my daughter Audrey, and they're, they're kind of wondering what, what I'm going to say. And I'm like, yeah, of course they are. <laughs> like, really? Man, you got a lot of kids. I'm like, oh, I got more. <laughs> and of course, Audrey rolled her eyes. She's like, oh, jeez. <laughs> um, and Jacqueline was like, no, you're not. <laughs> or it could have been the other way around. But um, no, but I, I mean, I, I actually, I, to be honest, I was, I was very proud to be asked that question because I take my spiritual fellowship very seriously, and I want them to see me as a father. So that was really great for, for me to experience that. But the whole point, though, was is that, you know, as, as whether I am, uh, you know, having children biologically or spiritually, it, it's important, and I, I'm still a father to, to all of them. Okay, great. Uh, we got, we got to keep moving here. So let's move on to the next thing. I'm just going to keep skimming. The reason why we have to keep moving is because I want to actually then get to how we apply this in our life together here at St. John. Laying the foundation, and then we're going to talk about it. So whether you're married or not, whether you're a celibate or you're married, you have this task as a parent to teach how to love. The greatest task any parent has is to teach your children how to love. Okay. And that's why I love this picture of the Holy Family. I think I mentioned that. We must remember, when we have children in the church, our desire is for that. We, we don't have children for ourselves, but we have children for the Heavenly Father. So that means we always, as, as children are birthed in the church, we must have our minds and hearts turned towards the Heavenly Father. Ephesians chapter 3, 14 and 15. All motherhood and fatherhood comes from the Father. The Heavenly Father. So we need to continually draw power from the Holy Spirit and renewed in that love. So then, and we'll, and we'll talk about this. So, so like, I have four children, Holly and I. I'm supposed, we are called to be the visible sign of God's love. But when they come to, so when we come to church, that's all you people in this room. That's your job also, to be the visible sign of God's love for these children. Now, here's the thing. We're all children, too. So we're learning, working with these children, or, you know, relating to these children. Working is probably not the right word. Relating to these children, but then that impacts how we relate to one another also. Now, the great thing, though, is when you have a child... We don't say this child, I'm going to love this child if he becomes this. Or if they, you know, because, you know, I don't know if you know this, babies don't do anything, right? They don't, they can't do anything. <laughs> but yet, you love them. Okay, 
you, we all need to explore that feeling a little while. Not right now, but that is a sign of God's grace alive in you. You love them. So the main calling of a little baby is to be human. It seems obvious. But unfortunately, too many of us only love people based on what they do. So we, we have to understand as parents and then as, as spiritual parents that we engage the, with these people, with our people, children, case in point, out there screaming. They, God, God wants these people around. And so we can't disagree with God. Well, it's, it's a bad policy to disagree with God. It's usually a good thing to agree with him. With that, then, you're like, oh, my word, how can I do that? Well, that's right. Parenting is best lived on the knees. Meditating on the cosmic wonder of a child being born into the world. Parents may come to learn, yeah, when you do that, you, you can't but think about yourself and how God has created you and saved you. I mean, this is something where just we, we, have to, we have to spend some time with that. Now, parenthood does not lose its value when procreation is not possible. Okay, we already talked about this. Okay, whether you're physically sterile or celibate, that provides an opportunity for other ways of parenting the human person. So it could be adoption, but it could be also educational work or you know, service to other families, whether they're poor or handicapped children or whatever. We have to understand that families will have, have parents. This is something that's so important for us to understand. In fact, we confess this in the baptismal liturgy. Amen. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. I know that's how it sounds when we say it. <laughs> but that's what we're saying. Hey, you're with us. And we're going to love you. And we are going, because the sponsors are there in case we don't do it. You guys listen to that. Fulfill what we are unable to do. The we is the church. I mean, if you're not up to it, then, then don't participate in the baptismal liturgy. But you are up to it, by the way, because you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, and this is something that we need to engage in. Again, as we understand this, then the primary need of that child is always spiritual. The primary need of that child is to is to cultivate that relationship with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the forgiveness of sins. That's important for us, right? That is our main goal as a family, is to make sure this child stays close, as close as possible to the altar as possible. Now, we all, based on male and female, mothers and fathers have unique sort of opportunities and skills to work this out. Motherhood, the bedrock of civilization. Just think about that for a while, but that's true. All right, femininity, motherhood, implies a special openness to a new person. In this openness, whether you're conceiving a child spiritually or not, the woman discovers who she is. So, like, someone who actually has a child gestating inside of her, she literally has to give herself. She is giving herself to the child. But if we understand that from the spiritual perspective, then, we understand that this is a lot more than just a child growing. When, so, women have this capacity, a special capacity. It doesn't mean that, you know, men aren't open to life and 
But men actually have to learn it from women, which I think I mentioned here in a second. Fathers have to learn from mothers. So, yeah, so, so what's interesting, too, about mothers, uh, I've learned just from observing, which is great, is that as the child grows inside of the mother, that is justification for Lutherans. I mean, if you understand what that is. This is undeserved kindness happening. This child has done nothing, but yet has, has getting life, receiving life. Holy smokes. It's amazing. That creating that openness then also then will help us understand our role as the church in, in the femininity of the church. This is, not, this is within our Lutheran faith. So if you want to speak a little Lutheranese, it's in the large catechism in the third article of the Creed, which is about the Holy Spirit. I think I, I quoted at length here. Where, um, where does all this life-giving things happen? Well, it happens. I forgot to page number it, but maybe that's like page six or five. Christ, or the Holy Spirit first leads us into his holy congregation and places us in the bosom of the church. So Luther, in the large catechism, the only way he can describe it is with the feminine terms. And then just a little bit farther down it is how he understands Christians coming into the, to the world is as a mother begetting and bearing. The church is a mother that begets and bears every, every Christian or every baptized person. That's, our, that's spiritual motherhood in a nutshell, and then that will be applied then into the life of the church. I'm just going to wrap this up real quick, because I know we've got to go. But fatherhood, I, I kind of have a funny little, the work of fatherhood is much more the conception, much more than conception. Hopefully that resonates with some people, because uh, for better or for worse. So the man, even with all his sharing in parenthood, always remains outside the process of pregnancy and the baby's birth. I, I think I might have shared that time when I was, you know, when I saw my first child being born, I realized I was in a sacred place, that I was a guest. Um, but it was from that moment that I had to learn about my own fatherhood through the mother. I, I would say that's, you know, of course, from my father also. But in my peculiar and unique relationship with my children, their mother, my wife, does educate me. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of great quotes in here. I think uh, I, I rip a lot of this stuff off and I regurgitate it for my own work here. But the thing about fatherhood, so first, fatherhood has this under, so uh, if you take a look at the picture of fatherhood, the two, so Joseph, with Mary and Joseph, Joseph, I already mentioned, he's looking out, right? His main concern is these two people inside his arms. So he's always looking outside of himself. In that other picture, he's got a shield, hellfire is raining down, uh, and he's, he's protecting his child who is flourishing, right? It's like he doesn't, the, the child doesn't even know what's happening. He's observing the beauty of a little flower, so it's the same idea is that when I, when I have learned about my fatherhood from my children's mother, my wife, it's the, same, it's, it's the same stance. I'm looking outside of myself for, for, for obviously, for, for protecting, but also for learning, 
for, for opportunities to give myself to my family. The giving and receiving happens both in motherhood and fatherhood, but in their own peculiar way. Because if you look at that other picture of the motherhood, it, uh, what is she doing with the child? She's praying with the child, and there's this darkness coming, and there's a shield protecting the child from the darkness. What's interesting about that, too, is that the mother, is, it's, it's, a, it's like a, on the bedside, right? So there is this domestic under, well, maybe that's not a word we use today, but uh, it's within the house and where the father is outside. So we have these kind of masculinity and femininity archetypes at play, but they're both protecting and giving and receiving, but in their particular ways as, as a female and a male. We're going to have to finish. We'll, well, okay, so here's the thing. We'll talk about children more next week, but childhood. Well, let's pray. We got to go. We got to go. Rich and Lorraine, you were correct. I, try, I was going to try. I tried my best to get through it all, but okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.